Well, after around about six months, we come this morning to the final paragraph of 1 Thessalonians. And as we've read through this letter in each of its chapters, probably multiple times over these past few months, it's a letter where you can really feel the love and the affection that the Apostle Paul has for the church there. These Christians have a very special place in Paul's heart. I'm sure there's perhaps been people in your life and perhaps you were there when you were born, when, when they were born, and you've known them ever since, and maybe you've only seen them from time to time, and you see how much they grow each time. Well, that's what Paul has been like with these Christians, not in a physical sense, but spiritually. Paul was there when they were born spiritually. And now he's away from them physically. He's in a different city, but he still has a great desire for them. And he's been so encouraged to hear how much they have grown when Timothy gave him that report. Paul brought the gospel to these people. We read about that in Acts chapter 17, which we've, we've read a few times as we've done this study as well. People who were living in the darkness of a Christless Judaism and of Greek paganism. Paul came and he told them about Jesus Christ the Saviour. And many of them, both Jews and Greeks, embraced Christ and came to new life in him. But after only a few weeks, Paul was forced to leave this city. And we can trace his journey in Acts chapter 17 and into chapter 18. He was forced to leave, but he longed to be back among them. Why? But we'll see this morning that having seen them come to Christ, he longs to see them grow in Christ. If you've, as I say, been present at the time when a, a friend or family member's child has been born and perhaps you don't see these people very often, you long to be with them. You long to see that child grow up. And that's what Paul wants to be with these people in terms of their spiritual lives. He wants to see them grow. He wants to be there to teach them, to see them mature in Christ. And so he rejoices upon hearing Timothy's report that they are growing in Christ. They are working for Christ. We see that in chapter 1. He is just overflowing with joy. He's just over the moon, I guess, that despite the persecution they are facing, they are continuing strong in the faith. And now in verse 23, as he closes off his letter, we see what Paul's desire is for them. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ.
Why does Paul finish with this or almost finish with this? Well, over the past few weeks, we've been considering verses 12 to 22. We've been seeing the various instructions that Paul gives to them for living as a church in light of Christ's return. Considering how they were to treat church leaders, how they were to treat one another, and how they were to live among themselves in terms of prayer and fellowship and the word and their attitude to the Spirit's work in them. And as you read these commands and try to assess how well you, we keep them, perhaps like me, the words that come to mind are, who is sufficient for these things? These commands aren't easy to keep. None of the commands that we are given in Scripture are easy to keep. The reality of being a Christian is that we have been brought from death to new life in Christ and we have been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. We have new hearts, new desires, new standards because Almighty God has come and has planted his very divine life in our souls. He has come and he resides in us now. And what we realise is that there isn't complete transformation overnight. We have new hearts and new desires and we see that so much of our lives do not live up to what we want to be in Christ. We do not live how we desire to live. We do not keep the commands as we should, not even as much as we want to. We don't live out those verses in chapter 5 properly, do we? Do you rejoice always? Do we give thanks in everything? Do we never quench the spirit? No, of course we don't. And take any command in the Bible. We do not live them out as fully as we should. We still sin. And we're not alone. So did Paul. He said in Romans seven fifteen, For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate... That I do. And we can easily fall into error with this. And a common error for people is to think, well, I'm trusting in Christ, but I'm still sinning. I'm not keeping God's law as I should. If there's still sin in my life, then I, sh I can't be converted. And we try and try harder and yet there's still sin. And is that true? If there's any sin of our, in our lives at all, does that mean we're not Christians? Of course not. And so what we need to understand, what Christians vitally need to understand, is the Bible's teaching on sanctification. This word that Paul says here in verse 23. We need to understand what God does in us in this life. 
we need to understand how we view sin now and what a relationship is now to sin. I think I told you last week that I hoped that this would be our last week in 1 Thessalonians. I hope you'll forgive me, but we're going to need another week next week because we need to grasp verses 23 and 24. We need to understand sanctification. Paul's desire for these believers and for himself and for every believer is that God would sanctify them. So what does the word sanctify mean? It means to make something or someone holy. That's what it means to sanctify, to make holy. What does the word holy mean? Holy means to be set apart from sin and to be given to moral purity. So as Christians, are we holy or do we need to be made holy? Are we holy or do we need to be made holy? Are we sanctified or do we still need to be sanctified? Well, the answer to that that the Bible gives us is both. Are we the Lord's holy people? As the church, are we a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood and a holy nation? Yes, we are. Look what Paul says, even in the next few verses that follow, verses 23 and 24. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. To be a saint means to be holy. And the writer of the Hebrews says, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. So in one sense we are holy. We have been sanctified. By his death on the cross, Jesus has made his people holy. His blood cleanses us from all our sins. We are made fit for God's holy presence because we are in Christ. We are holy in Christ. But in the New Testament, there's another use for the word sanctify. And that's the use that Paul is using it for here. That we have been sanctified, but we are also being sanctified. That God is also progressively making us holy in our own lives. And so we might distinguish them using the terms definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. When we trust in Christ, God declares us to be holy. We are justified. We have a right standing with God because our sins have been forgiven and we have been given Christ's righteousness. We are his holy people. But that's our holiness by imputation. That's our holiness because of our position in Christ. But God does not just want our holiness to be a legal imputation. God wants it to be the overflow of our hearts so that holiness isn't just something that is put on us when we're in Christ 
but rather it's something that's going to flow out of us as well by our lives. And so God's will is that we would be made holy, that we would be conformed to the likeness of Christ in all his perfection. And so God makes us holy in Christ. He declares us to be holy. But then, as we embark on the Christian life, as we begin, there's a lifelong process of being made holy in our hearts, in our inner being, that God is going to change and transform us day by day to make us more like Christ. And so the reality is that that is an ongoing work. And so... When we become Christians, we are a new creation, but we're not yet a complete, perfect creation. And that means the reality is that we do still sin. Our hearts have not yet been made perfect. And so now there is a battle raging within us each day. And we are constantly seeking to crucify the old man and the sins of the flesh. And so... It's a lifelong growing process that God's made us a new creation. He's placed his spirit in our hearts and he will grow us to perfect holiness. So when you become a Christian, you are given the status of holy. But we are also being actually made holy in our own hearts and lives as well. And that's not an overnight process, that's a lifelong process. As your whole, as you grow in Christ, sorry, as you grow in Christ, your whole person gradually conforms to your holy standing in Christ. Our person gradually conforms to our status. A way I like to illustrate sanctification is if you t imagine when you move home, when you move into a new house, does anything change about that house? It's yours, so you do what you want with it, don't you? And so you might change the wallpaper, you might change the carpets, you put your own furniture in it, you make the house yours, you don't leave in it what the previous occupants had it's yours and you will have it your way and when God comes to live in us that's what he's going to do in us as well there's a lot of old furniture that has to go and he's going to have in our hearts what he desires to be there holy lives holy thoughts obedience and so that's what God's doing in us as he comes and lives in us. He's sanctifying us and over our lives, he's gradually ridding us of all that's in our hearts that he does not want to be there. And so it means that our lives will increasingly be lived in obedience to God's will. We'll be set apart to love and obey him. And to live for his pleasure and glory. And to be more and more separated from sin. 
and that we increase not just in our ability to not sin, but in our desire to not sin. John Calvin described sanctification as the entire renovation of the man. Or as the Westminster Standards put it, we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. So yes, we still sin as Christians, badly at times. But it's God's work to change us and transform us and to make us more like Jesus. It's an ongoing process and therefore it's an ongoing battle for us each day. And we have to understand that it's God's work as well. It's his work to sanctify us. And this is something Paul understands. What does Paul say? He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. It's only possible with divine power. Human power and human effort will achieve no progress in sanctification. On our own, we cannot increase in holiness by one degree. It's God's work. It's God's work in all his triunity. And as you read through the New Testament and see where the word sanctify is used, you'll see at times it's attributed to the Father, times to the Son, and at times to the Holy Spirit. It's God's work. But it's not something that we are passive in. It's not just that we lie on the operating table doing nothing while God works. No. It's something that we are active in. When the New Testament speaks about sanctification, God gives us commands. Not to sanctify ourselves, that is his work, but commands to pursue holiness, to seek to do what is pleasing to him. And so God sanctifies us by working in our hearts and minds to renew us and to give us new desires and new wills to obey. And so Paul writes in Romans 6, 19, present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, therefore having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Or Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So God does it, but we are called to daily die to sin and self and to yield our wills to him. So that's how God sanctifies. He makes us willing and enables us to obey and to pursue that which is holy and to get rid of that which is not holy. We're very briefly going to consider three things concerning sanctification this morning from verses 23 and 24. We're going to consider the reason for sanctification, 
the extent of sanctification and the certainty of sanctification. The reason, the extent and the certainty. Then all really, all the answers to these three things are the same. That it's God's work. So what's the reason for sanctification? Well, the reason is, why are we sanctified? Why does God grow us in holiness? Because he wants to. It's God's will and it's God's work. Look over at chapter 4 and verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is how God originally made man. God made us in his image. He made us to reflect his holy character. And our sin ruined that. Our sin cuts us off from all fellowship with God. We were not holy as he made us to be. So what did God do? He sent his son to die on the cross to redeem his people from their sin. And what did that do? That brought peace between sinners and God. Notice how Paul describes God in verse 23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you. God has brought peace. He is no longer at enmity with his sinful people because their sins which he abhors have been removed from them. And have been punished when they were placed on his son and he died for them. So now that we are at peace with God, he's going to make us holy again. That's his desire to have a people for himself, to redeem them in his son and to make these people holy. To make them serve their original purpose, which in his image is to reflect his holiness. This is the purpose for which Christ has bled and died. So that we would be holy as he is holy. So that he would have a spotless bride. In the New Testament when Paul uses this description of God as the God of peace. It's always to express his desires for different congregations so in the letters to the Romans the Corinthians and the Philippians Paul says now may the God of peace do this and this and this for you Paul's confident that God will do everything for his people because he is the God of peace he's brought us into a state of peace with himself and so now he delights to bring much spiritual prosperity to his children. Everything God does for us flows out of us being at peace with him through the death of his son. That's really what Paul's saying over in Romans 8, which we read from. Verse 32, he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us? all things so because that peace is in place God delights to bless his people 
and he will bless us with sanctification, with holiness. So when Paul says, the God of peace, he's looking to the blessings that God's going to bestow upon his people because of the peace that now exists between them. So, what we have to understand then is that before you can be sanctified, you must be justified. Before God starts making you holy, you must be declared holy and be at peace with him. And we must get the order right. God doesn't increase our holiness and then bring us to faith in Christ when we hit a certain level. No, the first step is to come to Jesus Christ and to trust in him. Firstly, you must be made right with God. Firstly, you must be at peace with God. Your sins must be removed from you. Are you at peace with God? There's no middle ground. You're either at peace with him or you're at war with him. Where are your sins? Have you taken them to Jesus Christ? Or are they still on your own back? Whose righteousness do you have? If you're trusting in your own efforts and your own ability to be good and to obey, you're not at peace with God because your own best efforts in themselves are sinful. The only way to have peace with God is to trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, that there he died for your sins and that you have been forgiven and been clothed in his righteousness. What is your legal standing before God? When you trust in Jesus, you are made right with God. You are at peace with him and God begins that work of sanctification in your life. But it's not that you have to be good enough to come to Jesus. No, come as you are. Come trusting in him and repenting of your sin. And you will be forgiven and you will be saved. And God will grant you eternal life. And he will come and live within you. And he will make you holy as he is holy. So that's the reason for sanctification. It's God's will for us, to save us and to perfect us. Secondly, the extent of sanctification. How far will God's work go in us? How holy will we become? Well, Paul says in verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That's how far, completely. 100%. God's work is so thorough that there will be not one sin left in us when he's finished. God will settle for nothing less than perfection in his people. Perhaps People would say of you or you'd say of yourself, I'm, I'm a perfectionist in your work or 
and certain things that you do, I'm, I'm an absolute perfectionist. It just has to be perfect. Well, more than you're a perfectionist, God's a perfectionist. He is the absolute perfectionist. And his work will be perfect. There will be no flaw left in it. God is going to make us holy as he is holy. At the fall, every part of us was affected by sin. That's what total depravity means. It means that every aspect of our being has been tainted by sin. There's no area of our lives that does not escape sin's clutches. But one day, every area of our lives will be free from sin and will be perfectly pure. It won't be one day in this life, but one day in the world to come, either when we die or when Christ returns, we will be perfect. And that's what Paul means in the next phrase, and may your whole spirit, soul and body. It, don't read too much into the fact that Paul uses both the word spirit and soul. They're the same thing, they're not different elements. Paul's just using this phrase to express our total constitution. Everything you are, every faculty that you possess. Paul's saying no part of our beings will fall short of being entirely consecrated to God. We will be completely holy. It won't be possible for us to be any more holy. That's the work God's doing and that's how his work is going to finish. With us being as holy as it's possible for us to be. Being as like God in holiness as it's possible for us to be. What an encouragement as we daily fall short and as we daily feel the weight of our remaining sin and of our failings. We can know it won't be forever. It really won't be. Because God will. It's okay. It's okay, thank you. God will finish that work. And so Paul can say, he desires that we would be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's been quite a subject in this letter, hasn't it? Christ's return could be any time. We don't know when. And if we die, then our souls depart, our bodies, our souls go to be with Christ and they're made perfect in holiness. But Paul's desire is that should we remain on earth till his return, that we would be preserved blameless. That is, that we would be living ready for Christ's return. Now, sinless and blameless are two different things. It's important to grasp this, that we're only made perfectly holy once we die. And so it doesn't mean 
that when Christ returns, we need to be sinless to make it to heaven. No, because we're not going to be. We're not going to be in this world. And so if he returns in our lifetime, Paul's desire is that we would be blameless. That there'd be nothing to keep us out of heaven. Nothing. No reason for Christ to cast us off. And that really means just being in Christ. That he would preserve us, that we'd be kept in Christ, kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. And that he would preserve us through death and that he would preserve us if he returns before we die. And so God will complete that work. And to complete that work, he will keep us. He will keep us all the way. It's interesting, this little phrase, be preserved blameless. It's only found in this letter. This is the only time Paul uses it when speaking to the Thessalonians. And what I find lovely is that in the city of Thessalonica, archaeologists have found this phrase on quite a number of tombstones. A number of epitaphs that says, preserved blameless till and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a bad way to summarise your life. Here's this despicable sinner. Preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready for his coming? It means being in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're ready. If you're trusting in him, that he has paid for your sins on the cross... If you're living for him, if you're longing for that day, you're ready. Could that be put on your epitaph? Could that be inscribed on your gravestone, preserved and blameless? So God's work in us will be thorough, it will be complete. We will be blameless, one day we will be sinless in body and in soul. And made fit for God's presence. And to be with him forever in his kingdom. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Can it be true? Isn't it maybe just too good to be true? Surely that's impossible. That me, with my fickle heart that gets lured in by sin and worldly attraction and drawn away from Christ every single day? Can it be true that one day actually this work will be finished? That we will all be perfectly holy? That there will be no sin left, no desire for sin, but only good holy desires for Christ? Could it actually happen? Can we have any certainty of this? Well, that's why Paul... Continues verse 23 with verse 24. Because Paul is absolutely certain that this will be true for him. This will be true for the Christians of Thessalonica. And this will be true for the saints of God everywhere and in every generation. Why? Because we are faithful 
Absolutely not. But because God is faithful. And that's why that work will be complete. That's why we can have the certainty that we will be fully sanctified and will be made perfect in holiness. Because God is faithful and he has said he will do it and he will absolutely 100% do it. So will it happen? As long as God is God, then yes. As long as he is who he says he is. As long as he is faithful to do what he has said he will do. Then yes, it will happen. He who called us is faithful. Remember that promise in Romans 8 that we read. Verses 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. The work is certain. We've been called because we've been predestined. And therefore, in our lives, we will be justified. And Paul can say we've already been glorified. God has said it, so it's as good as done. God doesn't call in vain. God doesn't do anything in vain. So he who began that good work in us, he will see it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so that's where our confidence is that we will be sanctified completely. Our confidence is in the character of God, in the promises of God, in the faithfulness of God. He said he's going to do it. Take him at his word friends what a disaster it would be if it depended upon our faithfulness but it doesn't when we are unfaithful he is faithful so God's character and God's promises in his word must be the grounds of our assurance it can't be in ourselves our imperfect obedience cannot be the measure of our assurance. The reality of where we are now in our partial sanctification cannot be the measure of our assurance. It must be what God has said that he will do. And if you're a Christian, he's begun that work in you. He will complete it. Paul's certain. He will do it for every single one of his saints because God is faithful to his promises. The caller is the completer. Now that's not an excuse for us to sin. Sanctification is God's work, absolutely. And so when we sin, we haven't just to say, oh well, you know, God's doing this work in me, yes, I'll I'm sure in time he'll just enable me somehow to to just stop stop doing this. But I'll just continue until until I feel a little different. No, absolutely not. God's doing the work in us. God has been pleased to dwell in us and to work in us to change us. Isn't that 
all the reason we need to flee from every sin and to strive for holiness because it's God's will for us. It's what he wants and it's what he's working. So shouldn't that also drive us to give ourselves to pleasing him? Friends, he who calls you is faithful. He also will do it. So we can see in these two verses that Paul's desire for the people is their sanctification. But greater than Paul's desire for their sanctification is God's desire for their sanctification. He will do it. And this was a request that Jesus Christ himself made to his father in the upper room. He said, to his father in John 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Will the father deny the son that request? Absolutely not. That's how certainty, that's how certain God's work in us is of completion. As certain and as sure as the relationship is between God the Father and God the Son. Keep that in mind and plead that to yourself next time you sin. It won't be forever. God has promised. Now what we've not said so far is that this is a great work God is doing. What a wonderful work. But in our lives it's a very painful work for us. And we need to keep this bigger picture in place when we suffer. Again back to Romans 8. Could really have bookmarked it. Verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. That's what he's doing. As life takes a turn for the worst, and you travel through the valley of the shadow of death. God doing probably many things more than you'll be aware of but one of the chief things he's doing through our sufferings in this world is making us more like Jesus so that's the confidence we can have that God has sent his son to die for us and now he's preparing us to be with him in eternal bliss in his heavenly kingdom. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And the verse that's on my piece of paper that's now on the floor is 1 John 3, 2. 
where it says something like, for one day we shall see him as he is, for we shall be like him. God made us in his image. He made us as mirrors to reflect his beauty and glory. And at Adam's fall, that mirror was broken. The image of God in us is marred. That mirror became cracked. What Christ has achieved on the cross is to repair those cracks. To have a holy people. Now, in our lives and in our sufferings, in our sanctification, those cracks have been repaired and God is polishing and cleaning that mirror ready for display. So our sufferings, I just think, what is God doing to me now? What has he laid upon me next? It's just one thing after the other when we're caused to despair. What he's doing is he's rubbing, he's polishing us so that he can see his face in us. That's sanctification. And that work will be complete to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Almighty God, your ways are glorious. Your work is perfect and all your ways are justice. Thank you for the privilege we have of being made in your image to reflect the beauty of your character. We're sorry that our lives do not do this enough and we thank you that one day they will because of your gracious work in us. Help us not to despair over the sin that remains in us. Help us not to treat it lightly, but not to be consumed with it. Help us for every look we take to ourselves to take ten looks to Christ. We pray that the overall focus of our minds would not be on our own sinfulness, but would be on the perfection of Christ and that you would change us more and more to be like him as we look to him. So help us to look to him and may our minds be filled with him. Please bless us this day and please complete and speed that work in us now to make us holy as you are holy. We ask this in our Saviour's name. Amen.